0: Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 8. I specifically ask Mark for that last hymn that we sang. We worked together on the worship services, but as uh, I hope you noticed, it's based on this passage. Even though typically that is sung during the Advent season as a, a Christmas focus, because it talks about the Incarnation. But it is, indeed, based on 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. Now, today, I want to begin and end like I began and ended last week. There'll be a different sermon in the middle. But with that passage, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Paul's reasoning here is impeccable. I asked the question last week, why would Paul put this most beautiful verse about the gospel right here in the middle of a passage where he would be talking about giving an offering? Now, we're entering into this stewardship season Into this consideration of a new building, into commitments toward that. But how perfect! How perfect was this reasoning under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit to give the right motivation, the right motivation for them to give. It would be difficult for us to give and certainly to give sacrificially if we don't start with the gospel itself. That's the first thing. And that's the foundation. It is the gospel. And here, in talking about the Incarnation, In light of what Christ did for us, giving up everything and giving it to us. We, undeserving orphans, have been given an identity. You, undeserving orphan, are a child of the living God in Christ Jesus. Adopted into his family. And not only called a child, but given a title. And given an inheritance. So that we are a child of the king. Paul talks about the cost for that. It didn't cost us anything. We couldn't have possibly paid for it. But Christ, who had everything, gave it all up for us. And so here's the perspective in the middle of a passage on giving. If that's the case, believer, what will be your response? Of course, the ultimate, the first response is trusting in Christ alone for eternal life. But then as we recognize what we have been given, how Strange in light of that, would it be for us to consider what we will give in our our tithe and offering every week, what we will give uh, in our faith mission giving, what we will uh, give toward a building? How strange would that be for us to think in this way? I wonder how little I can get by on. I wonder how little I can give. To where I, I won't feel guilty about it. Thank God that the Trinity did not think in those terms, but instead, He gave it all. We continue to look at this passage and what grace giving. Is, and we see even more light on it this week, and I will be reading portions of this passage uh, as we work our way through, and as ultimately we work our way toward the Lord's table. We see in verses 10 to 15 that grace-giving is proportionate giving. It's proportionate giving. During the previous year, the Corinthian Christians had been the the first not only in giving, but in desiring to give, as it says here. Look at verse 10. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago uh, started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. And then he goes on in verse 11, the first part of it. He says, so now finish doing it as well. So that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it. Now, what's he talking about here? Paul is saying, okay, it's time to finish the task. (laughs) I'm really glad that back when we appealed to you for this offering, this need, I'm really glad that you were so willing. In fact, you begged us to give. I appreciate that. Okay, now it's time to give. (laughs) It's it's time to, to follow through. Evidently, there was some kind of a promise or a pledge made that Paul is unashamedly going back to them and saying, it's time for you to follow through on that. Now, what I want you to notice, and I haven't read this phrase in verse 11 yet, but there is a a phrase here that will give us a hint in terms of how much they gave and how you can begin thinking what God would have you to give. Now, you remember the application last week? I said, don't worry about amounts. Just do one thing. The application of the sermon last week was ask God, to give you a heart that wants to give. And that's going to be a a part of the application this week as well, to continue to pray that. And we're still not going to think about amounts, but here we do get a hint in terms of what he says in verse 11, after he had encouraged them to go ahead and give, uh, uh, that it be matched by your completing it out of what you have. That's the phrase I want you to notice. They are giving out of what they have. Some versions may say, according to your means. Now, over in Acts chapter 11, verse 29, we see the same kind of a a, a phrase. It says, so the disciples determined um, everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. How they determine it? Everyone according to. To the ability that they had to give. This is not some kind of a Marxist uh, uh, phrase. This is a Christian perspective. A Christian principle. You give according to what God has given you. Now here's what I want you to remember from this. The Bible does not teach equal giving among everybody. It teaches equal sacrifice. Not equal giving, but equal sacrifice. That's what we are all called to do. God is not so concerned about the amount you give but rather how that amount that you give compares to the amount that he has entrusted to you. Think about Jesus. It says he was at the temple, and he was watching people give, give their offerings at the temple. He saw, evidently, some of the wealthier people giving probably large amounts of money, and evidently, he was able to determine that they were doing that. He could see it. Maybe they were making it very clear how much they were giving. And then he saw a widow who gave, it says, two little copper coins. And then Jesus says, okay. Now, look at this. All, all this giving... You know who's given the most here? Everyone that was there would have said, well, these who gave these large amounts have given the most. And he said, that's where the kingdom, he didn't say this, but but this is the implication. That's where the kingdom is different from everywhere else. Because in the kingdom, it's not about amounts, it's about proportion and he said so in the kingdom she gave more than everyone else she gave it all and he's giving us a little glimpse of how god looks at our giving you know what most charities have found those who have less give more, percentage-wise. Those who have less tend to give more. There was a New York Times article in August talking about how many studies have shown that to be true. How many charities will tell you that. Paul is saying, that's not the way that it's supposed to be. But sadly, for some, the more the more they've been given, for some, the harder it is to give it. Because it, it does, by the world's standard, begin to look like a larger amount. It is a larger amount by their standard. And yet, our concern is not how the world looks at these things. It's how the Father looks at these things. George Murray, who was uh, here a couple of weeks ago, spoke at our missions conference. After he spoke that morning, he had lunch with our missions committee and, and staff. He put it this way God is not concerned with how much you give, but with how much you have left. It's the same principle, just saying it from a different direction. Grace giving is proportionate. Grace giving also includes accountability. In verse 19, it says, and uh, not only that, but he has been appointed. Here he's talking about uh, uh, how they're going to collect it by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that has been ministered uh, by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us Catch that. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. Here's the point. God's honor is at stake in how we handle money. It's his honor that is at stake That's true with individuals. It's true with the church. Now here at at St. Andrews, I don't know what people give. That's how I choose to make it. Now there are other churches where the pastor knows exactly what people give. I'm not making any judgment on any other pastor. I'm just telling you how it works here. And let me tell you why. I don't know and I don't want to know what people give. I would never want to be tempted to minister to somebody in light of what they give. In other words, to do something extra for them because they give a lot of money or to ignore something because somebody might not give. I would never want to be tempted by that now. Look, I, I hope I wouldn't do that. But I don't even want to think about it. I don't even want to have to resist that temptation. And so the fact that I don't know keeps me. That's one less temptation I have to worry about in my life. But the other thing is, I would never want to be accused of treating somebody differently. Even if I hadn't, I wouldn't want somebody to say, oh, well, yeah, he, he made that hospital call because of that so-and-so. And he didn't go here. He didn't come see me because I don't give. If that accusation comes, it cannot be substantiated. Because I don't know what anyone gives. That is going to continue to be the case here at St. Andrews. It will be the case. In terms of pledges on this new building. Now look. There will be names put on these pledges. That's for the bank's perspective. It's not for me or anyone else here. Pledges from their perspective are useless without names being put on it. But that's just for accounting. So just like your weekly giving. That's the only person. That will know. In this passage, Paul is following up on their pledge or their promise. Now, let me say a word about our follow up. Because I know that, that people in our church know people in other churches. And some of you have been in other churches where there have been stewardship campaigns, and some of you have had bad experiences with other campaigns and some of you have talked to your friends and you've heard them say yeah I got a bill from my church for my pledge yeah they sent me a letter it said you've given so much and you know you owe this much or you know time to catch up and that kind of thing and they look at it like a bill or in some cases phone calls you've given so much money and you pledge this much money. That won't happen at St. Andrews. We won't be doing that. We will keep you informed. It's our responsibility. We'll let you know where as a congregation we are in terms of our giving and in terms of our pledges. But if you get a letter, it's, Others in the church are getting the letter, too. Everybody will get the letter informing. Here's where we are. Because accountability is biblical. But we will not be chasing you down, okay? So don't worry about that. You need to understand, too, that uh, whatever pledge you end up making on in April, it's not an unrevocable vow before God. Now, we will be counting on that. You know, you determine, I I believe this is how much I can give over these next few years, and we need to be able to count on that. But at the bottom of the cards, this statement will be there. This is a statement of intent that may be altered at any time as circumstances warrant. Now, I tell you that because None of us knows the future. And so it is kind of um, hard in some, at some times for us to say, well, absolutely, this is what I will be giving. But I tell you that only so you understand that we understand. And all of us are on this journey together. But follow-up is is biblical. And then notice also, And we're going to jump clear over to chapter 9. We'll be in this more next week. And that is that grace giving is willing giving. Verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead uh, to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as exaction. That's a strong word. Not as exaction. Some of your versions may say not as one grudgingly given. Maybe you saw this week about the church in Texas. You know, inevitably, when something like this happens, it's a a little bitty church, but it made, you know, the news all over the place. And and inevitably, it happens when this this kind of thing happens. Uh, A pastor is being accused of withholding communion from those in his church that have not given their tax refunds. Now, he denies it, you know, and he called some of them devils and all this kind of thing. I mean, it's, a, it's not a good scene in that church. Let's just put it this way. But I thought, you know, isn't that interesting timing? Uh, communion this week. And, and then I put that thought out of my head immediately. How sad, really, isn't it? That one would feel they need to manipulate, to exact, to bribe, to cajole, to shame, into giving. It it only tells me, it it tells me a lot about the pastor, but it it tells me too that probably some of those people don't get this part about the, the gospel being the core and the reason why. We give. Paul is saying here that that it ought not to be just an emotional appeal. Now, emotions are involved in our decisions. But we won't do that here for regular giving or for faith mission giving or for a building. We want you to decide to make a right decision before God. Seek His face. Not to ever put down a number that, that emotionally you've, you've jumped into. Not at all. We don't believe in doing that kind of a, a thing here. You know what? There is nothing more important in this life than a salvation decision. But we will not, even with those, as important as it is, try to make you make those based on emotion. We're not going to have long altar calls for that very reason. That's why last week I asked you to do one thing. That one thing was to pray this prayer, Lord, will you give me a heart that wants to give? That one thing. Lord, will you give me a heart that wants to give? And I want to encourage you to keep praying that prayer this week. Add to that prayer this. We're still not worrying about amounts and so on. Lord, what, what do you want to do through me to help accomplish your will for our church? What do you want to do through me to help accomplish your will for our church? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you by his poverty might become rich. You know, sometimes there's objections when it comes to giving. There were objections that Paul no doubt had to overcome. Some would say, well, my money is mine. I I worked hard for it. And that's where this verse in the gospel comes in. Because Christ did not say, My blood is my own. Why should I give it away? But he showed pure giving. Neither should we grasp that which he first gave to us. Everything we have was given by God. Christ didn't say, well... These sinners are undeserving of my blood, so I'll withhold it. We are undeserving of his blood. And that's why it took his grace and his mercy for him to give to us. Christ didn't say, well, men might abuse my salvation, misuse it. He knew they would. Many would reject it. Many would even use it as an excuse to sin more. But he came and he gave. And so that's what brings us to this table. It is a table of giving. At its very core, it is a table That shows his giving. And if you are in Christ. If nothing else. Let this table mean that to you. And as the elements are passed to you. As the bread and the fruit of the vine. Comes toward you. In your mind. Remember. Given for me given for me. I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now, here's here's what he's saying. Again, it comes back to the gospel. That this table is a family table. Now, if if you're not yet a part of the family and I don't just mean a member of this church, I mean, I mean the family of God through the Lord Jesus Christ you become a member of that family as he adopts you in and as you receive Christ as your Savior if you're not yet a member of that family we're glad you're here and you're welcome to be in this room and we want you to watch and see the significance of this meal but it's a family meal It's for his people, for those for whom Christ died, those who have responded and trusted in him alone. But also, if you're a part of the family, but you're in rebellion, well, I would invite you to this table if you are willing to abandon that rebellion. In other words, if you will again love Christ more than the sin that you are clinging to, and that means repent, turn away from that sin, then come back to this table and rejoice and remember that this is his body and blood given, given, given for you. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you that you first gave to us. Will you help us to respond even as we uh, take of this which represents your body and your blood. Respond to that great gift. And have hearts of giving back to you. We pray in Jesus name. Amen.